Today, I am pleased, delighted, and humbled to be joined by Ben Jealous, the man, the black man to be specific, who heads the Sierra Club, the nation's largest and most effective grassroots environmental movement. How delighted are we to be in dialogue right now with Ben Jealous. Brother Ben, how are you, my friend? It's been way too long. Brother Travis, it is so good to hear your voice, man. It's good to hear uh, yours. And, it, and I am great. I'm good. You know, I was, I, I teased Jamal, uh, Oh, uh, Reverend Jamal. Bryant, Bryant, Bryant. Bryant. Yeah, yeah. Jamal, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. We were in our 20s when we were on your show on PBS. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we were getting ready to go to air. Yeah. And back then, there was a, fa- you know, there was a fashion. And, and as you know, our brother is always among the most fashionable. No question. Um, <laughs> th- there was a, that was back when Jesse Jackson was still trying to convince that brother to wear like pinstripes. Yeah. Like, it's not going to happen. <laughs> And, uh, and there was a fashion back then of of having um, your monogram be like Japanese or Chinese character, mm-hmm. and he had this he had, he had this this like I don't know like hot pink like shirt with French tops and these big Chinese or Japanese character monograms, and, and we were just about to go on air. And I said, I said, I said, Jamal, I said, I said, did you even know what that means? He said, I have no idea. And I said, so you, so you could be flashing millions of people in 30 seconds, like white on one side and power on the other. And you wouldn't know. And he was, for the first time I ever saw Jamal Bryant speechless, was the first 45 seconds of your show. <laughs> you were, you, you so, were. Oh, that's a long way of saying I miss you, I think about you often, and every now and then, Reverend Bryant, Ooh. Bishop Bryant now and yes. I laugh about that moment. No, that, that, that is, <laughs> I'm sweating in the studio, I'm, I'm literally sweating right now. Uh, that, that's a funny story. That was wrong of you to do that to Jamal just before Airbnb. That was wrong, man. <laughs> It to, was to freak him out it that was. way just it before. Was. <laughs> but Jamal, but here's the thing, right? What what I love about you, because that brother, that was like 25 years ago. Yeah, is that is that you lifted up young brothers trying to do something to make the world better when honestly very few other people saw us. Yeah, and, and a lot of the bishop's success, a lot of my success, honestly, it's impossible to measure, and yet we'd be fools to take it for granted has to do with the way that we were able to sew ourselves into, and just to regular black folks hearts, yeah. you know, build awareness of who we were and what our mission was in this world. Honestly, because you gave us airtime mm. when very few other people would, and you gave us real airtime and real conversation. So mm. that's your legacy. No, and I just want to thank you for it. I, I am humbled. I am humbled and I'm speechless. Uh, like Jamal was that day on the TV show. I am now speechless. Uh, I thank being jealous for those kind words. And I'm going to return the favor when we come forward. Uh, I'm rooting for everybody black, as we say around here. And I am so delighted at the success. Uh, that Reverend Jamal Bryant has had uh, as he pastors that huge church, New Birth in Atlanta. Uh, and Ben Jealous used to run the NAACP, as you recall, and now to be the brother running the Sierra Club. That is a big deal. And I'm delighted to talk to him for the rest of the hour when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. Hope, agency, dignity. This is Tavis Smiley. Can you dig it? Jamal! What is dedication? My biggest fear in the middle of my addiction was that my kids wouldn't have a father. And I started thinking, you know what? This isn't my story. I definitely had to become a better man to be a better father. It's important to me that my kids are empowered and truly believe 
that if if they can think it, they can do it. That's dedication. Visit fatherhood.gov to hear more. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Joey from Vermont. A farmer trying to get through the winter. Adriana from South Carolina. A single mother living paycheck to paycheck. Liam from Ohio. An injured father struggling to provide for his family. Hi, I'm Shanola Hampton. And I support the Feeding America network of food banks because they help provide over 6 billion meals to people in need each year. Learn more at feedingamerica.org. Hope, agency, dignity. This is Tavis Smiley. Can you dig it? Come on! Do you for curious people just like you? You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Smiley. You're listening to Tavis Smiley and the executive director of the Sierra Club, uh, the brother running the Sierra Club, Ben Jealous, uh, formerly the president of the NAACP. And I'm still laughing. I laughed all through that break <laughs> at the story that Ben told. <laughs> I'll be laughing about that all day today, man. I think I'm going to be just laughing throughout the day. People are going to be, I'll be in a meeting and start laughing. Say, what are you laughing at? What, what? Never mind, never mind, never mind. It was something Ben Jealous told me earlier today. Uh, anyway, <laughs> let, 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 me, let me do this. I'm glad I've got you for the hour. There's lots to talk yeah. about. Certainly the climate justice, climate equity, climate resilience stuff we're going to get yeah. to in this hour. Um, but since you mentioned, or I mentioned the NAACP and you mentioned Jamal, uh, I am reminded, of course, that not only were you the national president at one point, uh, the NAA, the venerable NAACP, Jamal Bryant started out as the youth director, the youth leader um, at, the oh, NAA, no. at the NAACP. So both of you, back to your story, our NAACP babies, both of you had a major leadership role at the NAACP. When you look back on that moment and juxtapose where we were then in our fight for civil and human rights as the head of the NAACP and where we are today in 2024 in this America, fighting for those same rights again, fighting against some of the stuff we thought we had passed, some of the stuff we thought we had gotten done then uh, have now retrenched. Uh, we're in retrenchment, and we're trying to fight these fights again. Just compare and contrast for me, if you will, where you think we were then in our fight and where we are now. Yesterday on this program, we had an hour in dialogue celebrating the 40th anniversary of Jesse Jackson's historic 84 run for president. So I'm in this mode as we're in Black History Month of, you know, looking back and looking forward and taking stock of where we are now. So with that said, compare and contrast where we were then in our fight when you ran the NAACP and where you think we are today in 2024. I will shut up. The microphone is yours, Ben Jealous. Well, you know, if uh, Jesse played the role of political Moses for us, you know, leading us out of a sense of disempowerment and towards ultimately really recognizing that black folks could do what Barack Obama did. Mm-hmm. You know, and Jesse was the first one to really make it look possible, especially with the 88 campaign. You know, I would say Ben Chavis goes down as like the John the Baptist figure for the movement. Mm. Um, and we really, you know, he may have had the shortest tenure of any NAACP president. But, you know, political prisoner uh, being released from prison, coming into leadership at the NAACP and doing a few things in tight succession. One was throwing down a marker about the importance of dealing with poverty head on. Mm-hmm. You know, Ben Chavis started his first week at the NAACP in a, and was dealing with gun violence, you know, in an embattled public housing project in Los Angeles. Uh, that was like day one for him. 
The second was really ringing the alarm on the environment and the need for the black community to really organize and show leadership in dealing with the systematic poisoning of our community mm. and ultimately uh, positioning us to, to uh, take climate change more seriously. You know, what we now call environmental, what we now call climate justice, we used to call environmental justice, we used to call environmental racism. Mm -hmm. And that conversation, that public conversation was really pushed by um, Ben Chavis. And then, you know, finally, um, Chavis, at a time, you know, when we were young and the haircuts were bad and I may or may not have had a high top fade, um, there, was, you know, there was, and I mean, like, a, you know, like, 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 uh, I always get kid and play confused, but the light skin one with the real tall one, yeah. high top, so I was aspiring for that kind of that. Yeah. I got together a while ago, <laughs> laughed about that, but, but, you know, back then, um, he also made it clear to black people that the struggle was still continuing we had to stay organized institutions like the NAACP had a real place in this fight um and I wouldn't have been the youngest president of the NAACP in its history or the one who led it through electing and re-electing Barack Obama fighting the Tea Party all of that you know but for Ben Chavis's um example and I thought to build on it in specific ways when I was there and one of them was la was launching the climate justice program of the NAACP that is now active in every single mm. uh, chapter. In fact, uh, your old friend Vic Bullock is now on staff here at Sierra leading our green partnerships. Wow. And my old friend. And, and he's also the chair of the Santa Monica branch of the NAACP Climate Justice Committee, as he has been for years. Mm. And so, um, you know, I think it's important to give Ben, you know, Ben his due um, and, and to recognize how he really very rapidly in a very short tenure at the NAACP in many ways helped to announce what the struggle would be about for the next 30 or more years. Mm. So there's a lot there to unpack. Let me, let me, let me start with this. Um, what did Ben Chavis see then uh, with regard to black folk in the environment? And what did you see then that you built on? We'll get to the, we'll get to your, your service now. As the brother, now I keep saying that a brother is running the Sierra Club. That's a whole nother conversation. Which, which I would well, unpack that for people, right? We're founded 1892. Yeah, you know we we like the NAACP. We're in every corner of every state, but we have about six, seven hundred groups compared to NAACP's 2,400 chapters. Mm -hmm. uh, but we're one of the few organizations that's in every state. We're in Puerto Rico. We're in D.C. We're in Guam. Um, and honestly, that was that was part of the plan with the, with the NAACP climate justice program was to meet with Sierra on the ground. But but going back to your question, you know, um, Ben Chavis, one had a very southern perspective. Um, coming out of North Carolina, you know, black folks lost a lot of land in the South. We still, you know, live mm -hmm. uh, in a lot of rural places where there's a lot of poison. Yeah. Uh, you know, you talk to, to Mark Morial about his family that doesn't live in New Orleans, but lives outside of New Orleans, mm. where the folks came to New Orleans from. You know, they're down in St. James Parish. They're dealing with really hyper-poisoning of their community in every way. And, and Ben carried that pain as somebody from North Carolina who was in touch with rural communities. And honestly, the NAACP of that era, of the 80s, in many ways, have become obsessed with the rise of the black middle class into the black upper middle class. And that was important, but 
it was Chavis who did give us all a reality check and said, essentially, look, 48% of us were in poverty when King was assassinated. Mm-hmm. Roughly 48% of us are in poverty now. And we don't succeed without lifting all of us out of poverty. Uh, and the two things, being vulnerable to environmental poisoning, now we know being vulnerable to climate change and being poor and being politically disempowered in the, ra- the ways that race uh, can compound poverty and politically disempowering people um, is all connected, is all connected. And Chavis really made that connection in a visceral way. And, um, and you know, when I came into the NAACP, you know, I was very clear that it was Chavis who had inspired me to get more active in my 20s mm-hmm. with the association and that we needed to really understand uh, his legacy and build on it. And the first thing I did was launch our Climate Justice Committee. It was actually my very first act as president of the NAACP. The interesting thing, it was, it was easy to do, Tavis, because you would roll back the clock to 2008. The young people of the NAACP, their number one issue by a lot was climate change. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the thing I think that we as black folks, I think we own that we are just inherently environmentalists. If you look at the stats, statistically, Latinos tend to be number one as far as supporting greater environmental protections, blacks number two, you know, and if we're honest, you know, educated, college educated whites are very much environmentalists, but the white community as a whole, not as much of a priority. 55% of white women voted for Trump, Mm -hmm. right, in 2016. Mm -hmm. And so we own that. But I think, um, you know, the other thing that uh, kind of we as as black folks – really need to listen to our young people that we may not really understand is just how freaked out the young people are about the existential crisis that we're in. Mm-hmm. And my son, right, my son um, is 11. Mm-hmm. And about a year before I took this job, he was nine. He very much did not want to talk about how babies were made. He was clear that was gross. Mm-hmm. But he also <laughs> very much wanted to talk about should he even plan on having one. He was nine. Mm. And it wasn't any conversation. It wasn't me being the head of the Sierra Club. It was conversations at school. It was conversations in the media. It's turning on the Weather Channel. And every single day, as Al Gore says, it is a march through the weather report of the Book of Revelations. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. like every day. Mm-hmm. And so we um, – one of the things I love about our history and our legacy as black people in this country – and I published a book this year called Never Forget Our People Were Always Free, and it was very much kind of a, a theme there, is just how optimistic we are despite it all. Yeah. You know, and, our, and that optimism comes from a place of faith typically, and it has made us resilient through horrors as a people, just literally the most terrible trials as a people. We've got to find ways to maintain it in this one. You yeah. know, we will uh, defeat this challenge. We will rise to it just like we have so many other existential crises yeah. for humanity before. But the only way we get there is, as we say in the black church, we claim the victory in advance and then we go make it real. There you go. I've got about three minutes left here in uh, right now and we'll continue when we come forward. But let me just do uh, a couple of things in these quick three minutes I have. Number one, um, when we come forward uh, a few minutes from now, I'm going to share with you, um, um, I'm going to give you some uh, some breaking news here. Uh, this station is about to release a major poll that we've just done on black folk and climate. It is a major poll, um, the first of its kind done by a black media organization. Um, I'll tease you with some of that when we come forward. Um, since being uh, 
Jealous was just talking about black people and, and, and where we rank in terms of environmental protections, number two, uh, behind our brothers and sisters in the Latino community. So this poll has been, uh, I've been studying it for the last couple of days, getting ready to release it nationally. Uh, but the data is just arresting for me about how black people see the existential crisis that we face. I'll tease you with some of that before the whole of the nation even sees the press release. You will hear about it on this program in just a matter of moments. But that said, um, this question right quick in two and a half minutes, uh, and we'll continue again when we come forward, Ben. But to what extent did Katrina um, uh, ring the bell for us uh, or not? You tell me. It rang the bell for everybody. And it is going to be you know, the 20th anniversary next year. Um, we, and I, and I hope you'll put it on your calendar, those starting on Earth Day and then the days that follow to that Saturday, we'll be gathering Sierra Club nationally for only the second time in our 132 years. And, um, uh, and, the, and the last time we did was 2005, a few weeks, but basically the week after Hurricane Katrina, mm-hmm. uh, ironically. And so Sierra Club diving into fighting climate change, like the NAACP, was very much fueled by Katrina. Again, you saw it in the poll of the NAACP Youth and College Division taken in 2007, just a couple of years after Hurricane Katrina, you know, um, just before Galveston, which would then send a bunch of Hurricane Katrina evacuees, you know, out of Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, when that came in, so that one-two punch of 2005, 2008, really devastating for the black community and really shifted our mindset. You also saw it in the Sierra Club. I, I, ironically, literally, the week that Hurricane Katrina would happen in New Orleans, Al Gore was scheduled to spend several days with leaders of the insurance industry to explain to them how hurricane, excuse me, how climate change was about to eat their lunch. Right. <laughs> and then God did it better. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, my favorite, maybe onion, you know, the satirical newspaper sure. on college campus is called sure. the onion. Mm-hmm. My favorite headline of all time was the week after hurricane Katrina, the, that edition of the onion read God outdoes terrorists again. <laughs> <laughs> Like we forget the magnitude. Oh yeah, but that was the magnitude. Here it was, seven years after September 11th, and the Onion was reminding people that what happened down there yeah. was even bigger. No, God, God, and, ha- yeah, God, God has a way. He, he, yeah. he has a way, and he, he spoke that day and in the days that followed uh, that hurricane. Uh, we're delighted to be joined by the brother uh, head of the Sierra Club, Ben Jealous. Uh, and there's a lot more to talk about when we come forward. I'll tell you a bit about this poll that we're about to release here in a couple of days. You'll hear it here first. And I've got a lot more to ask uh, Ben Jealous about when we come forward in this dialogue about black folk in particular and climate justice, climate equity, climate resilience, and why this issue matters to us or certainly ought to matter uh, now more than ever. I'm delighted to have Ben Jealous right now on Tavis Smiley. What's your quarrel with the world? You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Let's get back to more of Tavis Smiley right now. More of Tavis Smiley and Ben Jealous, the head of the Sierra Club, uh, who I'm delighted and honored to have on this program in this hour. Uh, let me let me jump straight to that. Um, we talked about your backstory at the NAACP and the work you did there, sort of seeding the ground, as it were, for the work that you would later do. I, I assume you had no idea it would happen this way, but as, as fate would have it or as God would have it, here you are now running the Sierra Club. And let me just let me just ask you point blank. What is it like for a brother to be selected to run the, the Sierra Club? What does that mean? Well, you know, I mean, it's uh, that's a real question. I, did, I never thought they would ask, 
You know, I was, um, I grew up in the Sierra Club. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a second generation Sierra Club member. I'm a fifth generation NAACP member. Uh, my parents' marriage had been against the law uh, in Maryland, and so they moved out to Northern California. Um, and, they re- and I was born in Carmel when Ansel mm. Adams, the great Sierra Club board member and, you know, outdoors photographer, uh, was around. He died when I was 11, and I grew up knowing his protégés and seeing him around town. Uh, and that town, Carmel, as you know, it's 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 framed by wilderness, right? It's Big Sur and all of that. And that yeah. was my playground. In fact, Kev, a little known fact about the youngest president of the NAACP is that I still hold the record as the youngest tour guide in the history of the Monterey Bay Aquarium. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, they actually created an age requirement because I was like the Doogie Howser. They, yeah. they said, well, you got to take a college, you got to take a college marine biology class. And the general <laughs> counsel said, well, this will satisfy our insurance because it means that no children will be working here. Mm-hmm. And then I took that college marine biology class when I was 12. Mm. <laughs> and after me, they said, okay, we're not going to fire the kid, but no more. And they, you had to be 18 after that. And so for me, you know, this, and I started the first high school chapter of the Student Environmental Action Coalition and, you know, co-founded their People of Color Caucus. And the two movements of my life have been the, the civil rights movement and the environmental movement. And yet, Sierra Club had never had anybody but white men as their, um, you know, might have an acting person of color, acting woman mm-hmm. in between two white men. But the, the seven executive directors before me, the six before me, have all been white men. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and when they called, um, it was funny because when I stepped down from NAACP, somebody had said to me, like, would you ever lead a big national organization again? And I said, like maybe the Sierra Club, but they'll never call. Like literally, mm. it was a, you know. Mm. And then they called, <laughs> and I and I and I jumped at it because I love Sierra Club the same reason I loved when I was a kid. Sierra Club, first and foremost, we get people outdoors into the most beautiful parts of nature. That we are the ones. Our founder, uh, John Muir, is the person that Teddy Roosevelt called when he was thinking about. Uh, preserving land. He was inspired by 20 years of writing by John Muir. Mm. He was inspired um, to think that perhaps we should start preserving land. And he said, John, please take me camping. The president of the United States mm. asked the founder of the Sierra Club to take him camping. And, and John took, knew where to take him. He took him to this valley where John, when he was young, worked at a sawmill and was aghast that they were basically uh, deforesting this valley. And that valley is what we know as Yosemite Valley national park wow yosemite national park and it was from that camping trip that the entire national park system was spawned and what made sierra club different from the beginning was we weren't just trying to get people outdoors to like clean out their lungs there was a lot of urban pollution back in the 1890s and the 1900s that was a concern yeah Uh, we were getting people outdoors to transform their souls Mm. because there's some places so beautiful like yosemite um you know, like the Muir Woods north of San Francisco, for example, that once you walk through them, you are just a different oh, yeah. person. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember taking Harry Lennox, you know, the star, the five sure. heartbeats, et cetera. Love Harry, yeah. Um, to Big Sur. Yeah. yeah, I took Harry down to Big Sur. He'll tell you that it changed his life. Yeah. And so Sierra Club, first and foremost, we get people outdoors to transform their souls. And from that, we're the organization that built the preservationist wing of the of the old conservationist movement. Conservationism historically very much close, uh, very closely allied to industrialists 
you know, it's a movement that tries to balance things, but always seems to balance it towards the industrialist at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And Sierra Club came on the scene way back when and said, no, no, no. You know, would you turn a cathedral into a warehouse? Like, mm. there's some places that are just so beautiful, they're only made for one purpose. Yeah. Look, and, um, yeah, and that's who we are, and that's yeah. what we do to this day. Let me ask you another point blank question. I asked you what it means for a black man to run the Sierra Club. Let me ask you another question. Yeah. Um, how do you uh, juxtapose, how do you square, how do you frame, how do you explain, pick your word, that this movement, this environmental movement in this country has for so long been so white to your point. They've only had white executive directors of the Sierra Club till Ben Jealous shows up. How do you explain when people ask you this question when this issue comes up that the movement, as it were, has always been so white? The good white folk run the movement. But the folk who are being victimized by these catastrophes, by these maladies, happen to be black people, poor people of color that just doesn't square for me. And it, it, it's going to lead me to saying what I'm going to say in a moment about why my hometown station in L.A., KBLA Talk 1580, has, has announced earlier this year, as you well know, a $2 million-plus climate justice campaign for the entire year. It is up and running. We have all sorts of partners, including, I'm grateful to say, the Sierra Club. Um, and so we're doing our work, and I'll talk about this poll we're about to release uh, here as we move forward. But in the, in the in few minutes I have right now, Explain for me how, why and how the movement can be so white, but the victims of climate catastrophes, and as I said, climate maladies, happen to be black people, brown people, poor people. Ben Jealous? Well, a couple of things. Let me also just go back a little bit to that first question you asked about being black. You know, one thing about being black and leading the Sierra Club is that you've got you've to hold the whole. You got to own all of it, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you've got to be able to say, yeah, you know, we are proud that the first black that the first rangers of yosemite national park were the buffalo soldiers Mm. and they were black men Mm -hmm. they were the first rangers yes but you also got to own they were there to run out the native americans right yep and you got to hold all that pride and all that pain in the same place right you got to be able to hold that you know john muir ultimately preserved places that were sacred to native americans and were and was appreciated by by several chiefs before he died for doing that but honestly his his understand if you go back 40 years 30 years before that his understanding of black people his understanding of native americans was pretty typical and not the worst but pretty typical for white men at the end of the 19th century it was not an enlightened view of either group and honestly he started off imagining nature without native americans in it Mm-hmm. You've got to hold, you know, so you've got to hold all of that and say, you know, what I think is sort of obvious, which is that, you know, people who do good are often the same people who do wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, people that we're proud of as, as great black vets. I mean, Thurgood Marshall's father was in the U.S. I mean, grandfather was in the U.S. Cavalry. He was a hero in West Baltimore for that service before Thurgood was. And yet, you know, what the U.S. Cavalry did was not all good. Mm-hmm. And so um, similarly, coming into Sierra Club, yeah, it's, it's obvious. Like, look, black and brown folks are even more environmentalists than white people on average. That is true. We need to open our doors wider, Asian Americans, Native Americans as well. And yet it is also true that 50, 60 years ago when Sierra Club had just been in one state for its entire existence to that point, a group of college-educated 
liberal white folks who liked things like hiking and rock climbing decided to spread this club to the entire country. And we own it and we owe a debt to them. And, you know, and, and so it's, it's that, right. It's just fundamentally, I think it's easier to sort of get to being an all American organization. Yeah. Uh, When you, when you bring in somebody from a community but if we're honest, as black folks, we've always had to hold the hole. Yeah. You know, I, I um, no, I, I, I think they, they are the Sierra Club that is, is blessed to have you. We're blessed to have Ben Jealous as its leader, uh, and it's about time. Um, it's about time uh, that um, they understand, uh, as they do, that uh, people of color have got to be involved in this conversation. Uh, you gotta, uh, you gotta elevate the dialogue. You gotta amplify their voices. People of color cannot be left out of this conversation. And Ben Jealous is not just in the conversation. He's leading it as the head of the Sierra Club. When we come forward, uh, some detail about a poll that we're just about to release. Uh, you'll hear some of the details first on, uh, this program. When we come forward with Ben Jealous, you're listening to Tavis Smiley. Interrogating and unpacking. That's what we do around here. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Smiley. More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. Right now. So uh, in the very, very near future, uh, that may be tomorrow, maybe the next day, but we are we're working through it now. Uh, but in the next uh, day or two, uh, my home station in L.A., KBLA Talk 1580, will be releasing uh, um, some national news about a survey that we've taken specifically of uh, black persons here in Southern California, the whole nation has been watching California of late because of all the, the monsoons, the rainstorms. Every day um, you see the effects of climate change in the state of California, not not alone, not not only in California, but uh, it's um, it's uh, pretty acute here uh, in the so-called golden state. And so it makes sense then that we would be asking black folk, particularly in California, uh, their thoughts on climate justice concerns. Let me just share this tidbit with you. I'm quoting now from the press release that will soon be out, but you're hearing it first right now on Tavis Smiley with Ben Jealous. The results of our survey highlight that more than 7 in 10, 72% of respondents believe there is a direct connection between environmental justice, social justice, and civil rights. Equally as important, respondents overwhelmingly believe that pollution, climate change, and other forms of environmental harm impact black, Latino, and low-income communities more than white Asian, wealthy, and coastal communities. Notably, uh, this finding holds true across ideological lines and is consistent among black progressives, liberals, moderates, and conservatives. That's all I'll give you for right now. There's a lot of data that you'll see, a lot of charts and graphs that go with this survey. Of course, it'll be posted on our website at the appropriate time. But uh, when you hear that, uh, Ben Jealous, none of that surprises you. But what do you make of that uh, of that reality that we've discovered in this most recent survey that we've done of black folk in Southern California? Well, first of all, uh, in this election year of the election years, I'm a little worried that you found a, st- a statistically significant sample of black conservatives. I don't like to hear that even exists. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, look, that's all consistent, you know, and I think um, our community uh, follows science and the rest of the country would be wise to, you know, we, uh, as a country, we have followed science to, you know, uh, avert existential crises before, for example, from nuclear weapons and yeah. what we learned about what, you know, how we needed to make a sharp turn there. Um, and, and, and if we're honest, following science has also been key to building an economy historically that lifts all boats. 
right? Like we got there pretty fast with the car, maybe first. We and the Germans debate that, but you know, it was following that science and what it could do for human mobility that really jump-started the American economy in the last century. And that's what I think people are not realizing right now, is that this debate, like there's any other future for the automobile besides it becoming increasingly electric. Um, This debate, like there's any other future for power, let alone power people can afford, except for becoming increasingly solar and wind, uh, is a distraction. Mm. And, and, And it's delaying the U.S. from seizing the market the only question is whether China controls 85 or 98 percent of the solar panel market globally. Yeah. Now, on, on EVs, we control a lot more than they do, but they're steadily making ground. Any delay and further delay in the U.S. seizing either only benefits China. And I don't know a black person of any political persuasion or an American of any color in any political persuasion that wants to further enrich China in this moment. Yeah. But the sort of false debates that Fox News and Donald Trump have suggested, you know, have subjected our country to with their constant disinformation on these issues. There's only one country that wins. It is not us. It is China. It is. Nope. I take you. I take your point. Uh, When we come forward in our remaining moments with Ben Jealous, I want to get two things to him. Uh, He mentioned um, the following science. Uh, I wonder how he reads all of these science deniers in Congress and beyond in real time. And finally, uh, he just completed his one year, his first year as head of the Sierra Club. I'm going to ask him what his plans are for the future. What does he hope to accomplish in the days ahead? Uh, That when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. For all the freedom-loving folk, this is Tavis Smiley. I feel like More honesty than you can handle. More empowerment than you can imagine. You're tuned in to Tavis Smiley. I've got a tight three minutes here, Ben. Just three quick minutes here. Tell me how you read these science deniers who are sadly, regrettably, running our country. Uh, and uh, having served now your first year as head of the Sierra Club, what, what are the plans for the future? You know, I see them as as corrupt. Uh, Typically, you follow the money. It goes back to the oil and gas industry. The Republican Party, uh, at least 32 percent of their PAC dollars come from big oil, big gas. The American people need to recognize what we're dealing with. It is a rigged economy. It is a corrupt political system. And honestly, you get into these state capitals, it gets even more alarming. You know, um, leading Sierra Club right now, uh, we've got three crises that we're that 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 we are taking on all at once. One is the extinction crisis. We don't talk enough about that, but we are losing species at an unprecedented rate uh, in in human history, and we've got to really do everything we can to protect them. Uh, and that means protecting more land, protecting more wild places. Two, we have this climate crisis. Uh, if we move quickly to uh, really shift we, uh, even faster uh, from reliance on uh, coal and fossil fuels to reliance on solar and wind, two things happen. One, mm-hmm. everything gets cheaper. Those are now the cheapest way to uh, get power. Two, everything gets more resilient. Solar and wind are the most resilient ways to power our, our communities. Three, the air gets cleaner um, and then at the fourth one, we actually will build the next economy. And we yeah. need to understand that what's not being said is, is honestly the future billions and trillions this country is losing because the deniers have us delaying, seizing this moment to really lead on EVs, to really lead in solar and wind and the way that humanity needs us to and the way that our, frankly, the American people demand we do. And let yeah. me just kind of give you one hopeful image. I was down in Dalton, Georgia, Dalton and Cartersville, Q-cells. 
is building the largest solar panel production facility in the Western Hemisphere. And when you meet with those poor white folks, when you meet with those working class black folks, when you meet with those working class Latinos, many of them used to work in a carpet factory. Yeah. What inspires you most isn't just that they have greater dignity in their work, but they all feel on mission, and their mm. kids tell them that they're on mission. Yeah. They feel like they are preparing for the Earth shot the way that people at NASA back in the day felt like they were preparing for the moon shot. Mm. That's the future for us. Ben Jealous um, isn't just brilliant. Uh, he isn't just an amazing leader, having run two national organizations. Who does that? The NAACP and now the Sierra Club, having now completed his first year uh, as executive director of the latter. Uh, but he's a great guy, and I'm honored to call him brother, honored to call him friend, honored to have uh, the Sierra Club under his leadership as a partner on this climate justice campaign that we're undertaking for the entire year. Thank you for your partnership, Ben Jealous. Thank you for your leadership, your friendship. Good to have you on, my friend. I will talk to you soon. Thank you. Love you. Appreciate you. Keep speaking truth to power. You do it better than, than most, that's for sure. Love you back, and there ain't nothing you can do about it. More Tavis Smiley when we come forward.